Hello, everybody. Hello, masters of your own destiny. What's going on? Hey, if you're new and you're tuning for the first time, seriously, where are you being? Huh? No, welcome. We welcome you to the family. It's amazing that you are listening to us. It's always about you, the audience. This, again, is from Suarez Basement, a podcast created for everybody out there that is very much in love, like I am, with everything that has to do with visual storytelling. All the people that were behind some of your favorite TV shows or movies or Broadway shows, those are the people that we want to have conversation with. I want to remind you that we have a home now that you can go and visit, which is fsbaseman.com. Okay, F for Francisco, F for Suarez, basement.com. You can go there and listen to the entire library of our episode with experts in the communication media and the app. Of course, like always, I want to thank our partnership with WCNY. Thanks to that partnership that we can get to you every two weeks. We love this partnership with WCNY because they keep us in check to be sure that we are producing the best quality podcast for you. Here in Francois Basement, we have the chance to talk to amazing experts in the field from cinematographers, uh, videographers, uh, set design, costume design, production design, directors, you name it. But I'm always fascinated to have conversation with those experts in comedy, in stab comedy or writing comedy. I found it extremely difficult and one of the most, if not the most difficult art out there is to make somebody laugh, especially if you're trying to make that person laugh for a extended period of time. And today we couldn't be prouder and happier to have with us an amazing comedian. He was in American Go Talent. Now he has his own show in Vegas through the Mad Apple, the Cirque du Soleil show in New York, New York Hotel. I'm talking about Harrison Greenbaum is with us. I'm very excited. Well, he's not with us. He's in Vegas. We're going to connect and have this conversation about comedy. Thank you again for tuning in. Let's start this new episode from Suarez Basement right away. Here we go. Well, I want to welcome you to my basement. I'm so excited to have you with us today. Harrison, thank you for coming and spending time with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. You are in Vegas. Uh, we are here in central New York. Uh, weather is uh, quite raining. Uh, how is weather over there? Hot. Uh, it, we go straight from winter to surface of the sun. So it's about 200 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we still here dealing with the weather. All right, so I want to ask you my first question, I guess, is I'm always curious to know how were you as a kid? And when do you notice that, oh, I think I'm actually quite funny or I'm making people laugh. So tell me a little bit about when do you discover that you have the talent for uh, comedy? You know, I feel like there are so many comedians who have that story of being like the class clown or, you know, getting in trouble all the time. I was the exact opposite of that. <laughs> I was very much a goody two shoes. I was valedictorian. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to get. Uh, the best grades possible. That was, you know, I was, a, I was, I'm, I am and was a nerd. Um, so really my sort of performance background, I did a lot of musical theater. I love doing the school plays. Um, I think my grandmother, um, no matter what I did on television, me being Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof in eighth grade, I think was always for her to shine the peak of my career. It didn't matter. I'd be like, hey, I was on television. Uh, 20 million people just saw that. No, 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 you were Tevya in eighth grade. 
uh, with a fake beard. I, I kept inhaling as I performed. Um, now I could do it. Now I got, now, I have turned yeah. into, now I'm turning into the role she loved. Uh, <laughs> I'm becoming an old Jew. Um, but uh, I did musical theater and then magic. I was, uh, I loved doing magic ever since I was a little kid. Uh, when I was like five years old, I started doing magic. And I would be kind of funny when I did magic. Um, some of the magic tricks sort of lent themselves to to humor. I was a big fan of comedy. Um, but I think if you took my friends from middle school or high school and said, oh, this guy is going to be a stand-up comedian uh, and he's going to do pretty well for himself, uh, they would be shocked. They would not, I don't, I do not think they would believe it um, based on what they've seen. I mean, for me, my approach to comedy, I, I, I got into college um, and that's when I really started doing stand-up. I got my first taste of stand-up because I was uh, every Tuesday going off to the third floor of a Chinese restaurant called the Hong Kong in Harvard Square, like two minutes from my dorm. And it was a magic show every Tuesday night called the Mystery Lounge. But on the other days, it was a comedy club. So I started getting my taste of actual stand-up. It was the first time I ever saw live stand-up. I was in college. Um, and then for my freshman year, everyone was getting really fancy internships. And I was like, oh, is that what I have to do? Because everybody's like clerking with judges and you know they're going off to Lehman Brothers or which I guess existed at the time um and uh so I applied to to work to be intern for Mad Magazine because I love Mad Magazine my dad loved Mad Magazine there's a box of Mad Magazines in my dad's closet in his old room in my grandmother's house in Brooklyn and I would sneak off and read the old Mads um so I love that stuff it really informed sort of what you know my approach to humor and the 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 Mad was is was is a great thing. It ruined many children's brains, and uh, I think you can still see its effect on comedy today. Um, but I interned for Mad Magazine, so that freshman year I was writing for Mad Magazine. So I was surrounded by these great comedic minds, and they the internship is so cool because they're over your shoulder, helping you become a better comedy writer mm -hmm. um, and think in comedy. You know, um, and and I also started doing uh, you know I was barking for stage time. So I was on the weekends and I, I would stand out handing out flyers for two hours in exchange for five minutes at the end of a show um, all the way uptown. Um, and that that was like, you know, my beginnings of doing real stand up in New York City. Uh, so that, it was all sort of learned step by step. You know, that that's it, you, that's the sort of beauty of of stand up comedy. I call it the algorithm of comedy is that you go on stage you do a joke. If they laugh, great. If they don't, you use that data to fix the joke and you just keep running that cycle over and over again until you get hopefully funnier and funnier and funnier. If you're if you're honest with that cycle, the only thing it can do is make you funnier. But I have to say, I mean, we're going to talk about, of course, your show in Vegas and uh, why we, we were able to connect. And uh, that's part of the story of our podcast today. But I always feel like, do you think being funny or being able to be as a stand-up comedian is something that you're born with or can you learn how to be funny? You know, it's interesting. There's so many people who say that you can't learn it. Um, I guess there are parts of it that need to be innate. Um, but the, the craft of comedy, learning how to write comedy is definitely a skill that you work on um, and you get better and better at by working on it. Um, you know, are, are, I'm also, I also do magic. Are people innately good at magic? I mean, you have to learn, nobody's born a wizard. <laughs> you have to learn how to do magic uh, and get better at it. So I think there are things 
that you bring to comedy, like your unique point of view is something that you're in a way born with because it's, it's made from where you were born, how you were raised, how you see the world, the world that you entered. Um, so there is, there are components um, that you take with you that are part of who you are uniquely. Um, but a lot of the stuff, like how, how do you really write a joke? Um, how do you work on an act? That stuff is just hard work. Um, and there are some people I think that maybe are a little bit more natural at it. You hear stories about Chappelle and Eddie Murphy being really funny, like as, you know, 16 or 17, being young teenagers. Um, I remember seeing Pete Davidson in the clubs, super young and, and really good. Um, for me, I, you know, I had a, a theater background. I had the, the, uh, experience doing magic. So I had a little bit of a knowledge of how to be on stage, but I really feel like most of the stuff that I use to make jokes funny or to, to figure out how to write those jokes, deliver those jokes are just stuff that I learned doing, you know, six, 700 shows a year for the last 15 years. Mm. Tell me the process that you go through, uh, because again, we're talking about uh, you know, do you born with the talent to be funny or or can you actually, you know, learn the skills and you were talking about certain discipline to do this. So in, in, in three or four steps, let's say, how do you go from an idea creative of a joke and how suddenly you deliver that joke to an out? Um, yeah, you get inspiration from everywhere. Um, and then you, you try to find... You know, I think every good joke, I've written about this, every good joke has a twist and a point. Okay. So the thing that separates a bad joke from a good joke is that twist. There's something surprising about a joke. There's some level of misdirection. There's uh, an expectation that you are in some way subverting. So finding that twist that unlocks um, the idea that you want to express um, that's really, really helpful. Uh, and that's the difference between a bad joke and a good joke. But the difference between a good joke and a great joke in many ways is the point. Um, it's not the, you know, the, the main thing is getting a laugh. Your job is not to be a professor. Um, your job is, it, you're there to make people laugh. And if, you know, there are some people that can get a little bit too pedantic. And you get to that point where you're trying to score ideological points or you're trying to score points before it laughs. Um, the laughs are always what comes first. It's gotta be a funny joke. But there's got to be some reason that you're spending all this time developing the joke. And there's got to be some reason to justify why the audience is spending the time to get mm -hmm. to your show, be at your show. They're spending lots of time and energy to get to your show and see it. Uh, you need to justify that investment that they're making, too. So I think that the point of a joke it doesn't have to be a broad point about the universe. It could be something silly. You know, Seinfeld talking about where do lost socks go? is still a, a profound point to make that if you haven't heard before is I think is worth the investment of his time and your time. Um, so it's that, that, so the twist gets you from bad to good and the point gets you from good to great. Fantastic. And when I, when I talk about the point, I have like a rhyming thing. Uh -huh. um, and if it rhymes, it has to be true. This is, this is uh, an immutable law of the universe, but is it new? Is it true? Is it you? Hmm. It's got to fulfill all three of those things. So is it new? Is it something that's never been said before? If, if it has been said before, then you're wasting everybody's time. Um, new is important. Is it you? Is it something that only really you could be saying? Is this a unique thing that you are seeing um, or, or introducing? Um, and, that, and that is also what makes it yours and what makes you a unique performer. It makes you bookable. It makes you people seek you out. It makes the people fans of you. 
Um, so is it new? Is it you? And is it true? Um, jokes about stereotypes tend not to be true. Stereotypes are not often true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, here's a really uh, silly example. I once saw a comedian do a joke about what if uh, Jedis were female? Uh, and I, as a nerd, I was like, there are female Jedis. Right. So I was immediately taken out of the joke. And, and part of me was like, that joke is is being founded on a sort of a, a, an untrue statement. This idea that there has never been a female Jedi. And this is why. I mean, that's, that's a very tiny, specific niche example. There are bro- much more important, bigger examples of things not being true or not really being connected to the world. Um, and this could be even if you're an alien, you know, even if you're a fictional character, if, you're, if your whole role is I'm an alien on stage and I wear green makeup and I'm a comedian who plays the part of an alien, even though the the truth of what you're doing, is obviously you're not an alien, um, but there is still truth being revealed by what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so there does need to be this, this element of truth. So is it true? Is it new? Is it you? That's sort of how I look at um, the point aspect of, of joke writing. Wow, that's a really good way to put it. Okay, I will keep that into consideration for sure. That's fantastic. But it's not always the case. What I saw, and again, we're going to talk about your performance in Vegas where you performed in Cirque du Soleil, uh, Matt uh, Apple in uh, New York, New York, um, which is fantastic. That's how we met. Uh, yeah. I saw the show and I completely fell in love with your work. Uh, I was blown away how you were able to command an audience that clearly not necessarily is the easy audience <laughs> um, for many reasons, <laughs> for sure. Um, and I was like, this is this is fantastic. How much of that is improvisation? Because I just saw a lot of you interacting with the audience, with audience that, you know, you were making joke of certain characteristics or things about that audience that was like, wow, how, how quick can somebody use the brain to do those things? So we're talking about writing a joke, but at the same time, it seems to me that it comes very easy to you to come with material on the spot. It's a great question. Um, yeah, the Mad Apple thing has been wild. Um, we're about to hit our one year anniversary. We're about to hit 500 shows because wow. we do 10 shows a week, every week. Um, so it's been a crazy process to be a New York comedian uh, and then basically overnight moved to Las Vegas to perform in a New York themed show at the New York, New York Hotel Casino um, every Friday and Tuesday, 7 and 930. Um, um, uh, no, but it's, uh, go and go. If you go to Vegas, you need to go and see it. It's a fantastic show. It's so it. fun. And and not only do you get to see stand up and, and magic, but it's some of the best circus performers in the world. Um, and that is part of the, the, the level of difficulty is up until the first time I come out on stage, uh, I don't think everybody knows there is a stand-up comedian in the show. So there's a lady hanging from her hair, these, these guys really? flipping around, and then I come out, and I'm like, hello, uh, a Jew's about to yell at you for uh, 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> so get ready. Um, but it's the, the, in terms of the improv stuff, um, I always say that like the key to improv is you have sort of, you need a map so you know you can go off-roading. So there is a sort of uh, path with the destination that I'm trying to get to, and now, and because I'm going this way, anytime I veer off, I know where I can come back on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you just improvise without that plan, you could very easily get lost in the woods and never come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is sort of um, there are guideposts and things that I can come back to to get me back on track. Um, but it really is um, the best way to describe it. There, it's, it's a weird. Uh, there, I was a psych major in college, and there's this state called flow. Um, which is sort of where challenge and skill meet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and people know that state when you're just like, you're in the zone. Some people describe it. Um, it's a really, it's a high to be in flow. Um, you don't always achieve it, but on the right nights, and I'm, it seems like that night I was in flow, which is you hit that just, you're in the zone and I'm I'm sort of ahead. See, Martin has this in his autobiography where your brain is in the future. So mm-hmm. as I'm saying the joke, I'm already planning the next joke. Um, so I'm really looking around the room trying to see what sparks my interest. It's literally about following my curiosity and then letting my mouth get me in trouble. So my mouth <laughs> sometimes gets ahead of my brain. And now my brain is in this adrenaline state of like, okay, I need to figure out how that's going to be funny or how that's going to make sense um, as a thing that I just said. <laughs> so there are times where my mouth says something and then my brain goes, wait, what? We're doing yeah, this well, now? And, okay. and, and, and that's the thing why you are so talented about it, I have to say, because it can bring you in trouble very easily. What I'm saying is <laughs> I can see myself saying something that's always like, oh, maybe I went too far, you know? And maybe the person who's getting the joke is like, I don't find that funny anymore. So <laughs> it, it, yeah. finding that balance is not that easy. And part of it, it too, like one, one of the really interesting things is you become really attuned. Not that you get it right 100% of the time. You try your best, but you're attuned to sort of like very minute things in behavior. Like I, you can you can tell when you're talking to somebody if they're comfortable or not comfortable. And you can sort of really know how far you can push and they go, okay, I push it about as far as I can. I'm going to lean off or, oh, I might've pushed it a little bit too far. I'm going to make sure that this person knows that it's safe, that it's okay. And, and there, there are ways to steer that plane. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really just about being fully present and being aware, um, you know, e- even something simple where you go, okay, I'm going to make sure the audience applauds for that person. So that that person knows that this is all about, this is all in love and in good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody, and then that person, you see them light up and they go, oh, I, I'm, I'm the star of the show mm-hmm. or I'm the moment, this is my moment and this is exciting. Um, so there, there, it's about just being constantly aware of what's going on. Um, yeah. And it's fun. It's fun. It, basically it's, you're playing games. Um, in sketch comedy, they call it finding the game or an improv. You're trying to find these, these routes where you can keep mm-hmm. piling on jokes um, and that's always really fun because uh, honestly and truly, I, you know, I come out of this elevator from the floor, which is unique for a comedian. I've never emerged through, <laughs> emerged from the from the underworld uh, to, to appear. But I literally, as I'm coming up the elevator, I'm looking around and starting to gather data. And I do this thing where I, I mention the balcony and then I kind of turn mm-hmm. uh, and talk to the VIPs in the back because they they're often the performers are facing the wrong way uh, you know, so I like to make sure that they're included, but in that turn this way. And then the other way, I get a really good glance at most. It's basically the 360 view. And that's where I start to make my plan. (laughs) That's awesome. And Harrison, you mentioned actually, well, and and I, I, when I did my research that you went to Harvard for uh, psychology, right? So my, my question was, I, I always say if I could, go back to school, which I don't think I will, but if I could, <laughs> um, I will- Basically, are you at school though? <laughs> well, yeah. Because on the other I side of it. Every, every, day, every, every day, but I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated with psychology, with uh, human behavior, with uh, sociology, everything that has to do with us as humans. Uh, I'm fascinated because we think, I think we are the most, uh, we are cuckoo, crazy animals in the animal kingdom. Uh, <laughs> 
how how much that background do you think help you to be a comedian because i think it must be quite a connection between you just say that you know i kind of read people i have this this possibility to understand some people uh interaction so do you think that background in psychology is helping you to do a, a better comedy yeah i mean i talk about it in psychology they have what's called the third variable problem where if you think you think two things are connected and it turns out there's this third variable that's actually connecting those two things. Um, so for me, I always looked at psychology as that third variable where like, I was like, what is, I love comedy and I love magic. And if you sort of make a Venn diagram of comedy, magic, and psychology, that middle intersection is how people think. Um, magic is about manipulating how people think, really looking at the psychology of a person and making them maybe believe or see something that didn't even happen. Uh, and comedy is, is kind of similar. You're trying to get them to laugh, which is an involuntary reaction. Uh, we know it's not, you know, fake laughing. We know about fake laughing pretty well. Um, and that's because it's so obvious because it is supposed to be this involuntary thing. Um, so trying to get the people to do an involuntary reaction is a fascinating thing. Um, and what we laugh at, why we laugh, who we laugh at reveals a lot about who we are. Um, so there's so many things connecting sort of psychology and comedy. And it's, it's, it's kind of a fascinating psychology experiment. There are times where I'm working on a joke and I'm using that algorithm. So I'm, I'm, I'm going on stage with, all right, here's the rough form of the joke. Um, I hope, I, I hope it, this hits the way I expected to hit. And then the audience laughs at a part of the joke that I didn't expect, or they find funniest the part that I didn't think was the funniest. And sometimes I have to work backwards and go, wait, why was that the funniest part? And sometimes that's a real revelation. Uh, you really discover something and you go, I thought this was the funniest part of the joke. This was the part that was going to kill. And it turns out this is the part that they're responding to. So I need to really do a deep dive and figure out why this works and sort of reverse engineer it so I can do it again. That's fascinating. And, and I, I always curious to know for somebody that first, I, I want to, in some point, to talk about uh, persistent and, and consistent. You know, to to find that 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 goal and work for it. Because one of the things that I I talk to my students, uh, I'm, I talk in this podcast a lot with any of the experts that we have here before, cinematographers or set design, whatever it is, is the idea of rejection and consistency, right? Uh, uh, perseverance, we, we say in English. Consistency is more uh, Spanish, Spanglish. Um, so, rejection, you are a comedian, you finish your, your studies in Harvard, you decide that you want to pursue comedy as your career. My parents were thrilled. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure they were. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, tell me, How do you deal with rejection, especially at the beginning of your career? Are you now uh, establishing comedian? Uh, but how was to deal with rejection and how much being consistent, persevering was part of, of, of this uh, journey that you were in? Oh my God, the entertainment industry is all about rejection. Um, there's no facet of the entertainment industry. One of the things that kept me a little bit sane was um, if being in the entertainment industry was easy, everybody would do it. Uh, who does like being a comedian is awesome. Uh, being an actor, I'm sure is awesome. Being a director, it, being in the entertainment industry is awesome. What we do is, is fun and people like it. Um, and you can, a lot of people can see what you do. 
Um, so if it was easy and anybody could just do it immediately, there'd be a lot more people doing it. Um, so the, the fact that it's difficult in a way is a good thing um, because it's what allows you to, to, to do your job. Um, but I, when I was, when I talked about barking, handing out flyers, mm-hmm. I also then produced my own show um, uh, with Dave Ingber, uh, David Ingber, who's a great comedy writer. And then Sam Morell, who's a fantastic comedian. We would stand in Times Square handing out flyers for a free show. Uh, hey, uh, you know, at one point it was, I think we were $10, but no drink minimum, which was a big deal. But we're trying to get people in with a deal. It was a good deal. And we'd hand these flyers out and we'd be rejected a thousand times before we even got any interest, not even a yes, but just somebody would stop and take the flyer and then throw it in the garbage at the corner. So I kind of kicked off my career with an unbelievable amount of rejection, just handing out flyers. Uh, and you sort of start to build your armor that way. Um, and and even with, uh, with jokes, you know, when you're, the weird, the funny thing about comedy is that even the greats, I, I've seen greats build their hours. You know, your Seinfeld, your Chris Rocks, um, Dave Chappelle's, all these guys um, that a lot of people would consider their Mount Rushmore's. Um, controversial or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's not get into that. But um, from a from a comedy standpoint, these guys get on stage every night and I see them working it out. And it even we, we realize even the best comedians in the world uh, don't know what's funny until they get on stage. Not all the time. Uh, their batting average is not perfect. Uh, your batting average can go up, um, but you still have to take that risk literally every time you go on stage. Um, and that's even if you have a, an hour that you're proud of and works because the audience is changing and the factors are changing. You're basically building sandcastles. Um, you know, and the, the, the environment's always changing. Um, so there's this constant level of rejection and risk, even inherent in the art form itself of stand-up in particular, where you're going to throw that joke out and you're like, is this funny? And you can polish it over time and try to make it bulletproof. But there is a risk. Um, I think it's Seinfeld who had the quote is like, if you're killing 10 out of 10 times, you're not trying enough new stuff. I think I'm paraphrasing it, but there is that, that sense should go not just to comedy and jokes. It definitely applies to that, but to your career in general, if, Mm. if you're not getting rejected a lot, you're probably not trying or risking enough. Right. Right. Uh, You're you're, you're playing it too safe. Um, So rejection is a sign that you're putting yourself out there. It's a, it's a good thing. Um, Every, you know, every rejection makes you stronger and every, every bad set allows you to learn. You learn more from a bad set than you do from a good set. When you just walk out and crush, you're like, yeah, I did it. Uh, when you have a bad set, uh, Louis, this is a Louis CK quote. Um, he had all thing about when you have a, when you have a bad set, it's like a murder scene. You become a CSI. You have to like inspect the body. Um, doing comedy is honestly a drug. Um, it's why I love doing it. And I do it so much. Um, it's, it's a good way to explain when I was trying to explain to my fiance, like what, why I do so many shows. I'm like, these, these are, these bookers are essentially dealers. Right. (laughs) They're offering me the drug I love the most (laughs) and it's legal and it helps other people. So this is, uh, this is a win across the board. Um, but doing comedy, um, it's high risk, right? So because the lows are lows, because, because the worst case scenario is so bad, when it goes really well, the high is that much higher. And so, yeah, you definitely have to be a certain type of person to do it. Um, it's very much like jumping out of a plane and hoping a parachute appears. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I, I encourage people to try You can take a stand-up comedy class 
you know, take six weeks and have your graduation show where most of the audience is your family and friends. And I've seen a lot of people have really good experiences with that. Sometimes too good because it's just family and friends of the people in the class. So they think they're like the next, you know, John right. Stewart or whatever. Right. Oh my God, I've nailed it. I'm, I'm uh, God's gift to comedy. Then their second show when it's a real audience of not family and friends, they're just like, oh shit, this is going to be way harder than I thought. Um, but there is, and there's also this confidence bell curve, reverse bell curve, where mm-hmm. you start off really, really confident. And then as you meet other comedy, you go, oh shit, this is going to be harder than I thought. And if it didn't have this beginning part, nobody would do comedy. Uh, you need people to think, oh, this is going to be easy. In two years, I'm going to be Seinfeld. Um, otherwise, nobody would have, nobody would jump right. out of the plane. Right, right. Um, but it's, yeah, it's it's addicting. And sometimes when you're starting out, just getting that first laugh, when you when you make a group of human beings laugh at a joke that you came up with, uh, it's, yeah, it's a high that's indescribable. And I, I recommend it to everybody. Well, thank you so much, uh, Harrison, for being with us here in my basement. Uh, I want to thank, of course, WC and YPBS in Central New York for their partnership and you, the audience, for tuning in uh, every two weeks to listen to us, uh, you know, and the experts in the communication media and the arts. And Harrison, I wish you all the best, not only in your career. I know you are now uh, engaged. And so good luck with that. And uh, yeah, it's excited. Uh, and yeah, I, I please, anytime uh, we're here, and uh, I really appreciate and the students and all the audience that listen to our podcast for your time. Oh, no, my, truly my pleasure. I hope if you guys are in Las Vegas, check me out at Matt Apple, mattapplelv.com and uh, harrisongreenbound.com for my personal tour dates. And uh, yeah, it's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, man.